What's going on? And welcome into the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside Jim Mike and Offer from Pelicans.com. We are finally come to the end of our player recaps and we've saved the best for last. Will Guillory from The Athletic joins us as we talk about Etwan Moore and Dara Favors, both considered, I guess, the uncles of the team. And Will, we realize that you are not an uncle, but you're an uncle at heart, I feel like. So this was the opportune time to have you come on and, and kind of put a bow on our player recaps. Yeah, the funny thing is uh, me and Etwan are actually separated by one day without birthday. He was born February 25th, 89, I believe. I'm February 26th. So I'm like, I'm like a kid to Uncle E. We're like, you know, we're, we're spirits. We're connected. So uh, I feel like I'm the, per- the perfect person for this podcast, for sure. Well, I'm glad also that uh, you're not a 90s baby because I probably would have been mad at you just for being that because that means you're pretty <laughs> young. And so I would have been angry at that. So I'm glad that you and Etwan have a lot in common. Uh, but let's talk about here uh, just Etwan and Derek in general before we get into individual guys because those were, you know, we talked about Zion Williamson and he kind of relied on Uncle E a lot during this season, kind of the veteran to go to. And then you had Derek Favors, who you can tell when the, when the Pelicans were without him, how much they missed them. How valuable were those two guys, not only on the court, but more off the court with such a young team? Yeah, I mean, coming into the season, we knew this was going to be a very young team, you know, making that transition from last year, uh, bringing in, you know, all of those draft picks, the, the guys from L.A., we knew this was going to be a very new experience for everybody, and it was going to be a whole bunch of young guys and new roles. So having the Derek Favors, the East Farmers, the J.J. Reddick, those older guys to kind of help them figure out where they fit in with this new team and to kind of keep that locker room in order, especially when things were going bad, you know, when the 13-game losing streak and all that was going down, to have those veteran voices, those calming voices in the locker room, I think it helped a lot with this team, and especially with a guy like Etwan who's been here for some years, so he's comfortable in where he's at with the coaching staff and all that stuff. I think that helped a lot. You mentioned, Will, the the impact and the calming presence in, of those two guys. Um, I guess starting with Derek Favors, I mean, how what was your assessment of just how important he was to the team in terms of obvious, it just seemed like in a lot of different ways, whether it was wins and losses defensively. I mean, how uh, what did you think about just just how important he was to to the results of the team? Yeah, I just think I think having a guy in the middle who knew what he was doing night to night, had been through all the battles, understood how to protect the boards, protect the rim. I think that was really important. And you saw how much they missed him earlier in the season when he was kind of dealing with the injuries and coming back with a tragic loss to his mother. I think you saw having a guy like Jackson Hayes in that role, who's a rookie, 19 years old. You know, they were thinking they were going to redshirt him and then immediately throw him into the starting lineup. I think it was a lot for him to deal with. And when Derek came back, it kind of just calmed everybody down and put everybody in the correct role. And I think he was really important. And I think he added, especially, you know, in that pick and roll game with Drew Holiday. I know we know how much he loves those pick and rolls. He ran them for so many years with AD and to have that pick and roll partner. I think it was really important for Drew and kind of helped him expand his game as well. From an overall team standpoint too, it seemed like for the most part, they were a consistent offensive team throughout the whole season. I think, we heard several players often say, you know, we're not worried about the scoring, the offensive part of the game. That's going to be there, but we really got to uh, pick it up on the defensive end. I mean, what do you think are some of the some of the, the ways that they can get better defensively? Obviously, we also don't know what changes are going to be made personnel-wise, but, I mean, what do, you, what do you think are some of the things that they can do just to be more consistent defensively, especially with what I'm sure is still going to be a pretty young team? 
Yeah, the first word that popped in my mind is a word we heard a lot this year, Jim, in that locker room is communication. <laughs> so the Alvin Gentry, J.J. Reddick, they constantly talk about how, how this team is so quiet and how Alvin Gentry jokes with us that he went on the plane and it was the quietest plane he ever heard in all of his seasons in the NBA. Guys weren't playing cards and weren't talking crap about, you know, the basketball games for the previous night. This is a team that was very low-key, very on their own. They're kind of, you know, the the Twitter, IG generation. So they get on the plane and they're immediately on their phones. Yeah. They're not talking to each other. And I think too often that extended to the basketball court where guys are just kind of out there doing things on their own, not communicating. So I think it, it starts with that, just being on a string together, knowing how to play together and not depending on too highly to shut everybody down one-on-one or depending on Derek Favors to protect the rim every time somebody messes up. I think it's a five-man unit. We see with teams like Toronto, Boston, Milwaukee, the elite defensive teams, it's a five-man unit. All of those guys work together, and they have to get to that point. And I think the second part is just containing dribble uh, penetration. It's something that the team has struggled with for years. Outside of Drew Holiday, we know how good he is, but they struggled to find that second guy next to him. And so often guys are getting into the paint, and, you know, whenever you get past that first defender, it's just a chain reaction. It, it, it brings help. It leaves guys open on the perimeter. It leads to offensive rebounds, and that's something the team uh, has to contain if they're going to get better on defense. This is not taking anything away from Derek Favors, but when you look at the center position in this state in the NBA, they're looking for you know athletic guys that can potentially shoot the three or ones that necessarily don't have their back to the basket. But Derek Favors is a very valuable asset to this team, and you saw it when he was not on the floor. So is that with that being said – is there still a place for a guy like Derek Favors in this league right now just because of his defensive presence, just because of his veteran leadership, things like that? I'm not saying that should the Pelicans go away from Derek Favors, but it just seemed like with a with a league going to, you know, a bigger, faster kind of bam out of bio type center, uh, it seems like there is still room in the league for a, a guy like Derek Favors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we always know that no matter how many threes teams shoot, no matter how much, you know, games going to the 120s and 130s, we know – Big games always come down to defensive rebounding. We saw game seven uh, between uh, Denver and, and, uh, and Utah. How, like it was an 80 to 78 game or whatever that was. We saw uh, Houston come down to the final block. You know, that one in the game. Defense is always going to matter. And uh, having a guy like Derek Favors who knows how to play, who knows how to communicate, who knows where to be on defense, I think that's always so important. And I think so much of defense in, in today's NBA is anticipation and being there before the play happens. And so because the score, the court is going to be so spread apart no matter who's out there. The teams are going to have four to five three-point shooters out there. So it's not like you're going to be able to load up on one side of the court and contain teams that way. you got to anticipate what's coming next. And I think having a veteran guy like Derek Favors who's been through so many battles, and I think that, that showed this year his ability to anticipate where guys were coming from, anticipating that rotation early. I think that's just as important as making the block or, or, you know, getting there and taking the charge is being able to see what's happening before it happens. And I think they've did a pretty good job with that this year. Let's move on to each one more. And uh, we've talked about this all year. It's been kind of funny back and forth with Todd Graffinini, who was a rookie in the NBA this year. And I remember at the beginning of the year, I talked to him, I go, watch out for each one Moore's floater. And at first each one struggled a little bit at the beginning. And he would mm-hmm. look at me with this like, look like I got in trouble from my dad. Like you told me about each one more's floater and it's not really happening. And then all of a sudden he got going. And I remember between you and Andrew Lopez would look down at the arena. Cause we all sat in the same row and kind of like, I told you, I told you, I mean, man, that's one of the sweetest shots in basketball with him. And I felt like 
that was his bread and butter and just such a, a fun thing to watch uh, with, with Etuan. I feel like we did prove Todd Graffinini wrong. Not that he said it wasn't bad, but we, I think we had to prove to him that Uncle E had one of the best floaters in the game, don't you think? Yeah, Graff was just a rookie. You know, he was learning. He was like Jackson Hayes or Nard, those guys. He was still learning the NBA game. So we'll give him an excuse. But, yeah, anybody that's been watching this team for years know that Etuan's bread and butter is that floater coming off of the pin down. I mean, that guy hits it from all different angles. You can hit it with the right hand, the left hand. I mean, he uh, we've heard a ton of times from the team, that guy is just a bucket getter. He just knows how to – you put him on the court, he'll figure out a way to put the ball in the basket. And I think that's something we've seen for years from him. And I think uh, one of the better stories with this team is just seeing his evolution throughout the years. When each one came to the team, he was a guy that was relatively unknown, was a bench guy for most of his career got a pretty big contract from the Pelicans, and a lot of people's reaction was, wait, who's this guy? Etuan Moore? They're giving him how much? And then yeah. he comes here, and he's a starter for a playoff team. I mean, he's huge that year. You know, they went to the playoffs, and I think uh, to, to see him transition from that to being more of a veteran leader for this team, becoming Uncle E for the younger guys and helping them through this season, uh, I think it's one of the better stories this year to see him transition and still – even though he's older, be that bucket getter Uncle E that we've seen, you know, ever since he came to New Orleans. How much do you think that his style of play and just his approach kind of makes him a guy that is so popular among his teammates? And I think amused might be the right word to put it as far as their reaction. I looked at a bunch of his stats from this season, and one of the things that I thought was funny was that he had four dunks. And I actually thought that was more than really? what he did. Yeah. I don't know if there was a glitch in the – in the system that they counted a couple more than he actually had. But I feel like if he did, if he did have four dunks that each, every single one of them was, was just a cause like a huge bench celebration and everybody getting up out of their seat and saying, saying like they were just amazed that he was able to, he actually had zero dunks lat the previous season. So I don't know if his athleticism wasn't quite there the previous year, but, but anyways, I mean, how, how much of a, how much fun has that been just to see like, we talked about the uncle status, but how much of the just the way that everybody, the players react to him and the way everybody kind of likes to enjoy his game? Yeah, I feel kind of bad for reacting the way I did because we have seen E get up and, and get some exciting dunks in the past. And, and, you know, for me, everybody wants to see Jackson dunk and Zion dunk. No, give me some Uncle E dunk. That's <laughs> what I'm showing up to the SKC for. I promise you that. But I think you're exactly right with each one's style of play. I think that's why he, so many of the guys embrace him because he does have kind of that old man YMCA. <laughs> he's just kind of meandering his way in the paint. It's not like he's crossing anybody up. He's just going to get to his spot, and once he gets there, he's going to score. You know, it's, it's kind of like – it's kind of one of those, hey, just, just jump up on my hip and let me get you to the rim, young fella. And once <laughs> you get there, I'll hit this little floater. Uh, I think that's why people kind of love the way Etuan plays. He's just kind of very calm, very collected. He's never in a rush. He's always going to take the shot he wants to take. And, again, that just goes back to his veteran presence, the guy that's been in this league a long time, knows where to get his shots, and he's very efficient when he gets to his spot. So I think that's why, I mean, I, I see this guy being in the league at least a few more years just because he knows exactly what he's doing whenever he gets on the court. He could be a DMP for two months straight, and you'll throw him out there, and he'll score eight points in the quarter just because he knows what he's doing and he's constantly working. Uh, but I think just having a guy who is so consistent and so reliable, I think that's why you see him sticking around as long as he has. Because we know what other guys, if they're not getting playing time, or if they're not getting the shots they want, you know, their brains are going to go haywire. But Uncle E, he's just that constant, 
consistent guy, and that's what all coaches want. Yeah, I think somebody was joking about this during the season that he's one of those guys that you mentioned the YMCA game that he has. He's one of those guys that if he showed up at a random Y that he might be like, he might not be like one of the top few players picked, but like halfway through the game, somebody would be like, hey, by the way, you guys, you guys know that he plays in the NBA, right? And he'd be just killing everybody. So I, I thought that was funny. But, I mean, you mentioned um, just his ability to be ready to play regardless of the circumstances. How much of a factor do you think he was in terms of um, team starts out 7-23? and 23, And it seemed like right around that time he kind of got put back in the rotation and, and was part of, the, you know, the resurgence that they had of getting back, at least back into contention. Yeah, I mean, we remember the running joke, you know, right there in December, January, Drew used to say after every game, you know, when each one plays, we win. <laughs> you know, it kind of and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, just that consistency, a reliable guy. We know Drew and Etwan have played a ton of games together, you know, since they came to New Orleans. So I think that reliability, a guy where, you know, this team was so young and he had so many moving pieces and guys were injured in and out of the lineup, just to have somebody out there that Drew can kind of depend on and say, okay, when Etwan's out there, I know what he's going to give me. I know what areas of the court I can rely on him to be at. So I think just having that that presence out there, I think, was really important just to kind of steady everything down for this team because it was so new early in the season just to have some kind of uh, – just something where they kind of felt like, okay, this I know what this feels like. I know how to play with this guy. I think it was really important. And I think the fact that, you know, he was making shots. I mean, he was playing really well during that stretch when they kind of turned the season around and they needed that offensive boost off the bench because there was a stretch where the, bunch, the bench was really struggling outside of J.J. Reddick. You know, they were starting J.J. Reddick for a big chunk of the season as well. So having that extra score off the bench, a guy who can knock down those corner threes, get you some buckets in transition was really important. And I think that it was kind of confusing at times how his role would just kind of go up and down. But, I, again, I do think you got to give him a lot of credit for being able to say, okay, no matter what my role is, whether I'm getting 20 minutes out or no minutes, I'm going to be ready. And I think maybe above anybody else on that team, you could say that no matter what, each one was always ready. You know, it's funny. We talk about Etwan and his professionalism and always be ready. I don't know if you all noticed it, but every time that, you know, we would request Etwan for the media, he'd always come around and go, who, me? It was just funny that <laughs> he, just, he was always that guy that, you know, was just a quiet guy. That's what was always so funny that, you know, when Zion Williamson talks about, you know, who his mentors are on the team, it's amazing how close they got in such a quick amount of time. But I feel like those two personalities fit a little bit because Zion's not the, you know – He's kind of a quiet guy for or for someone that's really popular around the league and around the world, and I think Etwan kind of fits that mold. But it was just funny how he would always Etwan would be always like, "Who me?" As far as like when people wanted to talk to him, it just kind of shows the type of personality he has. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting stories we heard from Zion early in the season was, you know, as a college kid or a high school kid, you're not watching all 30 NBA teams. You're not tuning in the league pass every night. So he comes to the Pelicans and he's talking to a few of the assistant coaches and he's asking them about the team. And they're like, hey, this guy, Etwan Moore, he's serious. You got to watch out for him when you get to practice. He's like, who, who is Etwan Moore? And then he gets to practice and Etwan's killing. And he's like, okay, I see what's going on with this Etwan guy. And I think that's why Zion kind of gravitated him to the way he did because it was like, it was a reminder for Zion coming into the NBA is like, hey, there might be guys you've never heard of. There might be guys who sit at the end of the bench, never play. But all of these guys are great. All of these guys are elite basketball players. You don't make it into this league. You don't play eight, ten years, however long each one's been in the league, unless you're really good at what you do. 
So I think I think that's why something Zion really admired about him, the fact that Etuan's not the most athletic guy. He's not going to shoot 45% from three. He doesn't have amazing handles, but he just knows how to get the job done every single night. He knows how to like, put in the work to improve his game. And I think more young guys should look up to, young, to, to older players like that and say, okay, how have you stuck around in the league as long as you have? And I think Etuan's a perfect story of what it takes to be on a team uh, throughout your contract and get more contracts down the line just by putting in the work every day and knowing your role. Absolutely. Well, this was good stuff about Uncle E and Derek Favors. Uh, Will, it was a pleasure having you on. I know we haven't seen you in person in, in a very long time. I hope oh, that's not the case. Long. It's been way too long. I miss our media availabilities, our our travels, our Piazza Italia in Portland. I know we got to get we got to oh, get all that God. stuff together. I know, I know. I, I saw you tweet about it the other day, and I was like, oh, I can't believe you just mentioned <laughs> that because now it makes you really want to go back there. But hopefully we'll be able to talk soon. Keep up the great work during the offseason. I know it's still going to be a busy one with a new coach and the draft and the free agency, and, and who knows when basketball will start up again. But uh, keep up the good work with The Athletic, and I appreciate you having me on. All right. Now I appreciate do it for you guys for having yeah. me for sure. Absolutely. And what I really miss most, I just want to say this, what I really miss most is arguing with Jim during games about end-of-quarter shots. It happened uh, the other <laughs> night when Russell Westbrook refused to take a shot, and I was looking at my phone waiting to get a text from Jim, and it didn't happen, so maybe we swapped the beast. But it, it's, it's still <laughs> ongoing about should you take the shot at the end of the quarter. Uh, I know every time it happens, I'm going to get a text from Jim, so I can't wait till we can do that again in person. What was the game? I forget which game it was. There was a playoff game where somebody took like a 60-footer. It may, maybe it was a seating game, and it went in, and I immediately got on my phone. I'm like, where's Will Guillory? He needs to know that this is the right way to play basketball. And, you know, we were talking about uncles earlier. I feel like – I know you said you're not an uncle, but you, you are a, a godfather. I think uncle behavior, if I could look in my uncle handbook, I would – if you go through and scroll through, you would find that you were supposed to shoot at the end of quarters and not worry about your field goal percentage. So we'll talk about that more down the road when hopefully, like Daniel said, we get to see each other in person. But for for the time being, you will continue to get texts from me whenever any, any NBA player makes a shot beyond half court. Oh, yeah. At the and end of whenever, whenever a guy sends one over the top of the backboard and ruins their three-point percentage, I'll make sure to text you as well. <laughs> The debate oh. continues. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I appreciate it, guys. And uh, that will put a bow on our player recast. Big thanks to Jim for all of his help during these last two weeks as we recap um, what was a pretty adventurous Pelican season. As we talked about with Will, more to come here on the podcast. We'll take a little bit of a break. Of course, we'll have a new head coach to talk about. We'll have the NBA draft, a preview for the agency. And then who knows, we might have some training camp in a regular season to start. Um, in December or January. And hopefully by January, just like all of you, we at SeatGeek can't wait until we're back in the stands cheering on our favorite teams and singing along to our favorite songs again. We're using this time to make discovering, buying, and selling tickets to events in the Big Easy, well, easier. Plus, every ticket purchased on SeatGeek is protected by our buyer guarantee, which means you'll get your money back or better if your event is canceled, guaranteed. Download the SeatGeek app today, and when the time is right, Let's go. Well, hope you all have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. For Jim and Will, I'm Daniel. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.